Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Carpenter with a drive into deep right. It's at the wall, and it's gone. Pinch hit, three-run bomb, Carpenter. 3-1, St. Louis. One-two pitch, gets away. Here comes O'Neal. He will score, and the Cardinals win it. A wild pitch, and Tyler O'Neal scores the winning run. Big win for the Cardinals yesterday as they split the series with the Phillies. And they have a very, very good uh, homestand of 5-2. and two. And we welcome you into the Danny Mac Show. Dan McLaughlin with you. BK is at Centene. And he'll be with Alex for three hours after this program. So the Cardinals beat the Phillies 4-3 to three in extras. KK made that start. Bullpen did a pretty good job outside of Andrew Miller. Alex Reyes has been sensational. But uh, first and foremost, BK, good morning to you. Good morning, Dan. How are you doing today, my man? I'm doing good. You? I'm doing well. I, did I miss the my goodness meter this morning? I was waiting all morning for it. I don't know that I heard it. You were waiting with uh, bated breath, huh? I was, and I never got it. And I feel a little unfulfilled after listening to three hours of Danny Mac. Well, what did you want? I mean, I I wanted a little bit of everything. I was waiting to see what they had to throw at you. Well, they they threw a lot at me. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to have the label of the my goodness meter. You can throw lots of things at me, BK. We're just talking sports. You know, it's it's easy. And pop culture. I was about to say, I know that the sports are, I I got a lot of sports this morning. I'm going to get a lot of sports throughout the day today, but... I was waiting to hear uh, some non-sports stuff thrown your way. But, well, hey, man, I, I, I I'm happy to talk a little every, Cardinals hey, with you. No, no, no. You dive into non-sports because I know you don't like to talk sports. So what would you like to dive into? Uh, so how about the uh, the man that was dating 35 women and defrauded all of them and is now uh, has now been arrested in Japan? Oh, no. I did not see so. that. <laughs> wow. That's quite the game plan right there. He told all 35 women that it was his birthday, and so he would get gifts out of them. And in doing so, he has committed apparently a felony. So he's been arrested in Japan. So there's that guy. That I think that deserves a little bit of a my goodness. That That's that's a that's an 8.9. I'm not going to give you the 9 <laughs> on the my goodness. That's, but, that yeah, that definitely registers. Uh, this sounds like stuff from your junk drawer that's coming oh, yeah. up with your show. Yeah, I mean, we, we used that one the other day. There's also, we have not used this one, Dan. I haven't okay. mentioned this on the air. Uh, a teacher got drunk with his pupils and took them to a strip mm. club while they were on a school trip in Costa Rica. Oops. He has now been banned from teaching for the next three years, as really? you can probably Why? imagine. Man, I, I don't understand it, but yeah, I could, you know, I, I guess I got to go along with the rules. <laughs> wow. These yeah, kids are paying $4,800 per semester to be able to uh, attend this you, this school, this high school that they go to. And uh, 
he has uh, he has now been fired from his job, unfortunately. Okay. Dan. All right. Well, you you do pay attention to something outside of the NFL draft. <laughs> I'm very proud of you, BK. <laughs> this um, is what I'm here for, Dan. Let's yeah, talk a little Cardinals, my man. That's yeah, what people are here for. This was a good game. This was uh, a game that the Cardinals had a 3-1 lead. It was tied up about, I think, the seventh inning off of Andrew Miller. The Cardinals, though, come back, and they win it 4-3 to in extra innings. We had our first extra inning game yesterday. By the way, I didn't say it on the air. I had forgotten that you start the runner at second base. I'm looking yeah. at the lineup card. I'm thinking all – and somebody says, okay, so uh, Joe Blow will be at second base. I go, oh, yeah, forgot about that. You got to have those moments uh, every once in a while. So we had the runner at second base, and the Cardinals wind up winning the game. Good job by Kisner to move O'Neal to third. We're going to visit with Gary Bennett coming up, and one of the things I want to ask him about is pitch selection as a catcher with the winning run at third base and it's a walk-off variety type win that you could be facing but what you're calling and then how you prepare for a breaking ball so if you're going to get a slider or you're going to get a curveball you know the pitcher sometimes is going to overcook it especially with runners in scoring position it's not an easy place to be in for a catcher and you could see i don't know if you saw this uh real muto after the game he, you know, he walked into the dugout, and I mean, he slammed his mask and his helmet as hard as he could. There was frustration, obviously, with him and losing that game. But looking forward to visiting with Gary Bennett coming up. It was a good game. Yeah, for sure. And on the other side of that, Dan, I think you got to give a lot of credit to Tyler O'Neill. Some really good base running there, heads up, and he was prepared to run on that wild pitch. And so credit where it is due, Tyler O'Neill with some really good base running that really stole that game for the Cardinals because if I'm not mistaken, I think it was after the fifth inning, the Cardinals hadn't had a hit. Am I, am I wrong on that? I'm pretty sure that is the case. In that Car- Carpenter's pinch hit home run was the last hit of the game for the Cardinals. Yeah, so the, the fifth inning on after that, they did not have a hit from sixth to the tenth, and yet they won the game despite that. So they, they really stole that one in a way that probably going to have to do that a couple of times over the course of the season given how hit and miss this offense can be at times and it has been hit and miss the cardinals will call up harrison bader and he'll be activated today um so the cardinals you know we'll see if he goes right into the starting lineup remember what they did with tyler o'neill the other day now he had when he was called up it's now been a week but when he was called up he had a foul ball off his leg and that was one of the reasons precautionary that they kept him out even though activated him uh initially but they've got to get more production out of their outfield they've got to get at times better defense i I mentioned this on the broadcast last night they are getting or yesterday afternoon they are getting to more balls that they have in years i mean and it's they're, they're like in the top two or three in terms of getting to the baseball but then you got to finish the play. So they are more athletic in terms of their outfield defense in that regard. However, there was a play like yesterday where Tommy Edmond has to go halfway out to right field with his back to the infield and make that catch. Can't have that. So now you're going to have Dylan Carlson in right field. You would have Bader in center. You have O'Neill in left. Defensively speaking, that's a pretty darn good-looking outfield. Yeah, no, it's really good out there. And... I wanted to see what Justin Williams was going to do in this stretch prior to Harrison Bader returning, Dan, because I was very curious, could he force the Cardinals' hands of making that into a platoon? Because it's kind of natural. Justin Williams, as a lefty, can go out there against righties, and then you've got Harrison Bader, who has hit left-handed pitching very well in his career. He would go out there against lefties. Well, Justin Williams in his last nine games is two for 26 with 14 strikeouts and just four walks. So... He's done the opposite of force their hand. He has a 277 OPS in that stretch. 
I think this becomes pretty easy for the Cardinals. What they do is they just implement Harrison Bader into center. He's your everyday center for center fielder for the time being. You got Dylan Carlson in his natural position over in right. Tyler O'Neill is going to be in left. And you see what that looks like. And if Bader runs into a bunch of struggles at the plate, maybe you get some opportunities out there again for Justin Williams. But for the here and now, I think it's the outfield we were all anticipating them going with going into the season that we're going to see pretty much every day for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and Justin Williams does give you that left-handed bench uh, bat, so that's something to keep in mind right now. However, if they didn't have some of the, the various things that have popped up with Andrew Miller and also Wainwright going on the I.L., you got to wonder if Justin Williams has a reset with the start of spring training coming up, or excuse me, the start of the minor league season coming up uh, on Tuesday. Let's go back to Matt Carpenter. So Matt Carpenter comes off the bench. It's in and out of the glove of Roman Quinn. And with everything that's gone wrong for Matt Carpenter this year, that could have been another one where you just chalk it up and say, well, this is just Matt Carpenter's season. It doesn't matter what's going to happen, but Carpenter did get that home run. Yeah, if he would have caught that, I think I might have retired and been up there in the booth with you. I, I don't know. I'm not sure I could have handled that. But uh, it feels good. It feels good to be able to contribute and get in there and do something to help us win a game. And he gives you the left-handed bat that you need off the bench. Now, they're limited in that regard, but you look down, you're Mike Schilt, you look and say, what's my best option right now? Left side, it is Matt Carpenter when Williams is playing. So he gets that chance and comes through. And that will be probably held with the outfield as it's currently constructed. Edmund at second base. For Mike Schilt, that's probably the role for Carp. I do yeah, no. feel like we're taking better at bats off the bench than we did last year as a barometer. Um, and that's really ultimately all you can ask for. You know, pinch hitting, if you think about base, hitting a baseball, you know, hitting being the hardest thing to do in sports, and pinch hitting is the hardest thing to do within hitting. Because you're not facing a bunch of guys throwing, you know, meatballs up there, although we're looking for them. So, you know, you're facing back-end guys and, and so forth. So, right there, that's Matt Carpenter's role right now. That was what they envisioned as they came out of spring. Obviously, they put it to an open competition, didn't have a great spring. So, what's your role? You're going to come off the bench. And as long as the outfielders play to a decent level, that lets you keep Tommy Edmond at second base. That BK is your best team going forward. It is, and not to disagree with Mike Schilt, but I would say that the Cardinals bench has not been a whole lot better than it was a year ago. Lane Thomas had a single off of the bench on April 12th, and basically in the two weeks since then, prior to yesterday, the Cardinals bench was 0 for 31 with one RBI in that 15-day span. Finally, Matt Carpenter breaks through. He's the guy that needed to get off the schneid. He does with that home run. He also breaks that 0 for 31 stretch for the Cardinals bench, which was great. It was the first Cardinals pinch hit home run since September of 2019 when Matt Wieters had one off of Max Scherzer. So it had been about 18 months since the last time we had seen something like that. And it's good to see they're going to need more opportunities like that for Matt Carpenter. He's probably, like you said, Dan, the top guy off of the bench. I would say Austin Dean is number two right now, especially with Nagowski on the injured list. And they're, they're going to need those guys to produce more than they have moving forward. I'd be interested, too, if you didn't feel like you always have to keep your backup catcher available. Kisner would give you a quality at bat, I think, off the bench. You're seeing him go up the middle into right field. And when he does that, 
he's got a shot. So I would throw him in the mix, but because of his role, it's really tough to do that. And I'm in agreement with you. I think it's Carpenter from the left side, Austin Dean from the right side. Amundo Sosa had a nice game yesterday, played fine. Um, I like him defensively. He allows you to double switch potentially if you want. So all those things are there, uh, but I'm with you. And we're getting a lot of texts, by the way, BK, of, of saying, hey, Carpenter is easy to pull for. He is. I mean, there's no doubt it's kind of a lightning rod subject to Matt Carpenter, especially when he starts and if he's not producing and the numbers have been ugly. There's no other way to put it. He would say that. However, he's a proud guy. And I was mentioning this on the the morning show. I've talked to some people that are down in that clubhouse every day. They say he comes in with an unbelievable attitude. He's not moping. He puts in his work. He's pulling for his teammates. And he's been a Cardinal lifer. You know, to the fans' points uh, that are texting in, it's hard not to pull for that guy. You want to see him have some, some, some success. And remember, prior to that home run, it was just two nights ago, he hits a ball right on the button, diving play at second base, hit taken away. That's just what's been going on with his season this year in 2021. Yeah, he's he's hitting the ball still as hard as anybody in the sport, and I know people are sick of hearing about it, so we don't have to dwell on that a whole lot. But, I mean, he, he has been hitting the ball hard, and that's why he continues to get these opportunities. And on your point of him being easy to root for, the guy works his butt off. And I think that's why he is so easy to root for, is because he's great in that clubhouse. He is really helpful to some of those young guys and we've heard that from those players uh telling us specifically that carp is a guy that has been a mentor for them and when when you continuously see a guy work as carpenter does you want to see the results you want to see that pay off for him so if i'm a cardinals fan yesterday was really cool and i do love dan he's I think he has two homers now on the season, and both yep. of them he got a uh, curtain call for. Yep. That's that's pretty awesome. That that is that is what Cardinals Nation is all about. Coming up, we're going to visit with Gary Bennett. He was a part of the World Championship Club in uh, 2006. Looking forward to that. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Over at Centene, I'm Danny Mac, Dan McLaughlin here at the studios of 101 ESPN, and I always love the chance to catch up with Gary Bennett, who was a part of the World Championship team in 2006, did some broadcasting, now a lot of coaching, and is always watching Cardinal Baseball. I know that for sure. Hey, Gary, great to hear your voice. How are things going? Oh, man, it's Friday. It's about 54 and sunny. I got a few tasks to tend to this morning. Got my son's 445 high school game. The only way I could be doing better is if I can go back 15 years and throw that Cardinal uniform on again. That's what I like to hear. Now everybody's going to love you on the text line and listening right now. You say that, you're you're golden. You know that. Thank you, sir. Yes. Thank you. It's always good to hear you. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask specifically, before we get into the Cardinals and what you're seeing on some things, and I, I know you follow the game all over the place, but what did you think of the pitch selection of uh, the game yesterday ended in a a walk-off wild pitch and the pressure i don't think people take this into account but the pressure that's on jeep of the phillies on calling a breaking pitch and then the catcher the the pressure on him to block said pitch because you know a guy may overcook a slider or try to make it perfect with a curveball but just your situation when you're in that situation the catcher's perspective and what you're trying to do yeah, especially in that situation. So, well, one-two count, one out, winning run on third. You, you need to get a swing and miss there. So it's got to be a chase pitch, which more times than not, the pitcher's going to bury. Um, 
And there's a lot of stuff in the baseball world, you know, new age, old school, yada, yada, yada. But what, however you want to look at that situation, and JT is a phenomenal talent and an incredible catcher. Um, but you have to be expecting a ball in the dirt, and you have to do everything in your power to not let that ball get by you or kick off to where that run can score. So the simplest way to put that is, in my opinion, and I think a lot of folks' opinion, that catcher needs to be in the most athletic stance possible to give himself the best chance to block it. And that obviously wasn't the case, and thankfully for the Cardinals it wasn't the case. And on the other side there, what did you think of Tyler O'Neill's base running? Because I was really impressed with his heads-up ability to get down the line as quick as he did. That he did. And, and he's expecting, and there's a base runner too, you've always got to be anticipating. So in that situation as a base runner, you're thinking there's a good chance this is off speed. i got to anticipate this being in the dirt, and if it kicks away, there's zero hesitation. I'm gone. Game over. Hey, Gary, I know you're, you're coaching uh, a lot of youth baseball and, and keeping your eye on what's happening with the major leagues. What is being taught right now analytically and how the game is being taught in general at the lower levels, the high school kids, college kids, that kind of thing, to when you were playing and to what we see at the major league level? Yeah, I, I think, and, and this is my opinion, um, I think uh, we're trying to, to teach young baseball players how to run before they can even crawl or walk. And what I mean by that is is um, there's not a foundation of, of basic, solid fundamentals. So if, if you're teaching a 12-year-old how to catch on one knee, let's use the catching uh, position for an example, and he doesn't even know what his most athletic stance is yet, he doesn't really know how to properly receive and control the baseball and isn't strong enough to control the baseball once it hits his glove. And we're trying to teach him how to catch like someone in the major leagues who catches on one knee. That guy in the major leagues could stand on his head and catch. And his fundamentals he can lean back on are so rock solid that he can now uh, improvise and do some different things. And I think we're getting ahead of ourselves in the hitting as well. We're teaching, not we, some folks are teaching young hitters how to lift the ball and get the ball in the air because there's more a better chance for for damage and production and home runs. Now, if you ask folks that have been around the game and in the game a long time, the guys, first of all, the goal was always to hit line drives in the gap. So, so essentially we're trying to hit the ball in the air, ideally anyway. Now the guys for long fly balls, there's a very small percentage of, of players that can hit for power from foul line to foul line, any pitch, any situation. Those are the guys that makes perfect sense. Hey, get the ball in the air, let it carry, better chance for home runs. The rest of us, um, I'd say 60% of us, we're going to be hitting a lot of weak fly balls to the opposite field and going to get our glove or going to get our gear on if that's what we try to do versus teaching make solid contact, drive the ball on a line in the gaps, and especially with the young players, once you have that foundation and you get into college, or beyond, and you have elite talent and elite power, hell, do whatever you want to do. But let's stay with the basics and the fundamentals and build that solid foundation of being a good athlete and a good baseball player. We're talking to Gary Bennett, former Cardinals catcher here on 101 ESPN. Gary, it's interesting you were talking about some of the fundamentals for being a catcher, and I wanted to ask you about the Cardinals and the way that they develop their catchers because you look at Carson Kelly and Andrew Kisner. These are guys that were converted to the position after previously playing in the infield. 
How how difficult is that transition for, I mean, now, especially for a guy like Kisner, who came into the Cardinals system as a third baseman by trade and now has become what seems to be a pretty good catcher? No question. And and the, the thing, those guys that you're mentioning and, and a lot of others who followed that same path is, one, they're just tremendous athletes. And, and beyond that, um, it's going to take, you know, just work ethic. Just do you want to get better at it, and are you going to put in the time? And obviously those guys have, and and uh, obviously Buster Posey, the, the name that really comes to mind, was a shortstop in college. Um, it's if you put See, the funny thing about baseball is, is if you put in the time, effort, and energy defensively, no matter what position you play, you are going to get better. Uh, that doesn't always translate on the mound or in the batter's box, but defensively, if you bust your rear end and you're determined – and you have that makeup, you are going to get better. And, and those guys are just being phenomenal athletes. It's not surprising that they can make that transition and become very, very good major league catchers. Hey, Gary, um, I, I've said this on our broadcast that I think maybe the hardest spot in the sport, or at least one of the hardest spots in the sport, is right here in St. Louis and being the backup to, to Yadier Molina because you're not going to play. <clears throat> so how do you stay sharp? And you did that. Um one, what was it like being the backup to Yachty? And what's the advice do you give to, to young catchers that are backups and trying to stay sharp and stay in the game? Because that's what they want to do. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it is a difficult task, one, um, at, at any position, to be a backup, not get regular reps. Uh, your timing is going to be off offensively, certainly. Um, but but the big, I had the pleasure early in my major league career of, of being around guys like Gary Varsho, uh, Alex Arias, uh, Kevin Jordan was, was a guy in Philadelphia, uh, Dave Hansen, Keith Lockhart, guys that are ultimate professionals, uh, guys that made a career out of coming off the bench and being ready to contribute any way they could. So first and foremost, the focus is on the defensive side. You have to be able to step in and be as close as your ability allows you to be uh, to that guy you're filling in for. Um, so ideally, there's no bumps defensively, the game goes on. You're not costing the team runs. Um, that's first and foremost. And the, the, what you do there is, I was, you know, Gary Varsho, and I mentioned these guys, and, and just f- watching them and then actually following them around in their pregame prep and then during a game, how they're staying ready, how they're staying prepared for, you know, catching position. It could be one pitch, foul tip, you're in. Um, so you're always on red alert to a certain degree but being as prepared as you can. So one mind says you're always coming to the park, whether I knew Yachty was catching seven days in a row or not, I always drove into the park like I was playing that day, and and that was passed on to me through those older guys, the veterans, uh, the role players. You're always coming in like you are playing, period. So you're never caught off guard. And then, two, once you see that lineup card, you're not in there, you treat your pregame as your game. So you get your work in. You block your balls as a catcher. You make your throws. Uh, You get down the bullpen, maybe you catch the bullpen that day, and you treat it like a game. You're blocking, you're receiving, you're treating it as serious, as real as you can, so that way when you do step between the lines, you're as prepared as you can possibly be. That's the defensive side. Offensively, obviously not seeing major league pitching on a regular basis. There's no way to simulate that. I don't care what you do. Standing on bullpens, face live BP from a pitcher on rehab, there's just no way to simulate major league at-bats. So from there, you just got to be as aggressive as you can and, and contribute any way you possible. Just try to put competitive at-bats together. Put your ego in check a little bit and do whatever the team needs. You know, move a runner along, get a bunt down, and, and not try to do too much. 
talking to Gary Bennett here on 101 ESPN. Gary, one one aspect of that that we don't probably talk about enough from the outside looking in is the game calling for a catcher. Whenever, especially as a backup like Andrew Kisner right now, how difficult is that as a backup who he's at least for the next five, six days now going to be the starter? How difficult is it to come in and immediately have the command of the starting staff whenever you're the backup catcher? So that shouldn't be as difficult as the other two tasks because you're in every pitcher's meeting. Um, you're involved with the, the game prep, how you're going to attack certain hitters. Um, you have the video or, or, or uh, have the chance to look at scouting reports um, and see what hitters are doing. You should know their tendencies. That's just studying. So that shouldn't be as difficult. Um, and then just having the pitchers trust. It, the more you're involved in those meetings, the more – you ask questions or offer up what you see on a certain hitter. Um, you're building that relationship with your pitching staff. You know, hey, this guy's invested. He's involved. He cares about this side of the game. I trust him. And, and, and that's the biggest part is having that pitcher on the mound uh, realize you are vested and you care about that side of the game. And, and you, you want that – ultimately, you want that shine. And, and, and everything you do, if you do it well back there – you go unnoticed, and that pitcher obviously gets all the credit. And they know what you do back there. The pitching coach knows, and, and that's that's what we thrive on. Hey, Gary, um, for fans that don't know, you're from Chicago. You're living in Chicago. One of the great moments of 06, and there were so many of them, was your grand slam to walk off the Chicago Cubs. So how much trouble did you get from family and friends when you did that? <laughs> well, I take it back a step, maybe about eight or nine months prior when I signed with the Cardinals. Um, family and friends are diehard Cubs fans. Yeah. Two White Sox fans, but diehard Cubs fans. So it started right away there. They said, of all teams, you signed with the blankety-blank Cardinals. So <laughs> I, made him a, I made him a promise. I said, hey, listen, if uh, this is in, before I went to spring training in 06, I said, if we win the World Series, I'm going to throw a hell of a party for all my family and friends. I said, if the Cubs win the World Series, other than you hanging out with your buddies in, in, in the neighborhood, they're not going to do a damn thing for you. So you pull whoever you want to pull for. So I swayed a few of them that way. But back to that weekend, um, I had – it was always whenever I came into town to play the Cubs with any team, they all hoped I went, you know, two for four, one for three, maybe two RBIs, and we lose three to two. Um, so that weekend, that walk, I had a, a lot of very interesting voice messages. Um, <laughs> some people half-heartedly congratulating me, uh, but a lot of language that's not suitable for family uh, viewing. Uh, I can understand. And I, I love hearing the stories uh, now in retrospect. And I, I remember talking to you about this, and maybe you can share it. When you guys won the World Series and family, friends at the ballpark at Bush Stadium, and what happened maybe after that final out? What what was it like for Gary Bennett? So, uh, it was, I can't put into words the initial feel. I remember running on the field, Aaron Miles and I each had each other, a fistful of each other's jersey, just screaming at each other. And then, obviously, once we got to the mound, celebrating with everybody else. But, the next thing that comes to mind is uh, my wife, Ruby, and our three kids, Garrison, Gavin, and Julia, were, were on the field with me. And, uh, well, were they 6'4 and 2 at the time? And I had both boys. I have a great picture of this. One's sitting on my knee. I'm on one knee. I got my arm around the other one. My wife's right behind me holding our daughter. And I just kept trying to tell them, we just won the World Series. Look at this. Just trying to beat it into their brain. Um, hopefully that they would remember some of it. But... Obviously, sharing with teammates was is, is special, but then beyond special. But then having my wife and, and kids there with me, and then going into the clubhouse, 
and the, one of the first per- people I saw was my brother Ryan, who also played professionally. He caught up to AAA with the Mets, and then my mom and dad were there. Uh, had an uncle there. Um, it, it just was so emotional, tears in my eyes, hugging them, and it, it's just because my brother, obviously, my brother, and my dad, and, and, and my mom, just going back to when I was seven, eight, nine years old, just the the journey we had together athletics and everything they sacrificed for my brother and I to participate and get us wherever we need to be and to celebrate that with them. It, it was, I'm getting a little emotional thing about it now, but it was beyond phenomenal. It was, it was, can't put it into words. It's awesome. Gary, I know Dan and I have talked about this a lot lately, especially kind of referencing the Nolan Arenado trade and then looking back to how he compares to Scott Rowland and everything. We know now what the talent was on that team. I mean, you look back, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Scott Rowland, Jim Edmonds, at least for my money, all guys that either are or should be Hall of Famers. Did you know then just how talented that team was? Could you feel that in the moment? So, uh, you know, with the Brewers, uh, a couple years before that, um, playing them on a semi-regular basis, I I knew how talented they were long before that, so... Uh, Danny, I think I've told you the story. If not, so Scott called me that off season, 05, I was with the Nationals, and, and Roland calls me and says, hey, Tony gave me a call, want me to gauge your interest to come to St. Louis. Oh, I and remember this, I yeah. Jumped, yeah. I about jumped through the phone and said, call him back and, and tell him, yes, call me. But then I said, hey, listen, you know I'd love to play there, but uh, the slow played a little bit. Maybe I can get 20 or 30 extra dollars on the contract, but absolutely yes. Tell them I have a short list of, of teams I'd really like to play for, and the Cardinals is right there in that mix. But it, when Scott called me, I'm like, in a few uh, unflattering or uh, uh, words not suitable, I, absolutely. So I knew well before the opportunity to play on that roster was was an opportunity I hadn't had man-for-man, talent-wise, and expect, expectation what was going into the season any prior year with any other team. No knock on those other teams, but they just weren't as talented. And then day one of spring training, walking in and just seeing, you know, the names on the lockers and what they'd done the previous two years and the potential and the expectation on us, I was, I couldn't have been happier. So in, in a very long-winded answer, yes, I knew exactly how talented that team was and, and was overjoyed to have the opportunity to be a part of it. And, and Gary, you mentioned the name of Tony LaRusso. Now he's in your hometown and he's coaching and managing the White Sox. I was reading an article the other day and they were tearing him up over his bullpen decisions, which is going to happen. You know, your baseball towns, sure. everything's dissected. Lineups are dissected. Um, what are your thoughts on, on playing for Tony and, and now being back in the game with the White Sox? So one, I love to see him back. I got a few White Sox friends uh, and they've, uh, shot me a few texts over that. And I think one thing Tony does, and, and he's going to put people, he might not make decisions early in the season by, you know, textbook decisions, but he's going to put people in situations that might be unpopular by the masses, but to see what they can do. So come August and September and lead into October, guys have been tested. He knows who to lean on, who maybe he might not be able to lean on as much so when you're in a position to compete for October, everything is set and you're ready to roll. So not that you're going to sacrifice the game in, in April, but you might try some things that you won't in September because you have a little leeway in to see how that roster is going to shake up and who you can lean on. So I think that is part of some of the decision-making process with a lot of very good managers to get guys in position, test them, and, and see what you got. So I think that, I'm guessing, I don't know, I'm thinking that's what you've seen with some of Tony's decisions early. 
Um, I I love that he's back in the game. Uh, just the knowledge, the wisdom, and, and, and the experience he gets to impart on that incredible, incredibly talented team. And we could go on for hours about maybe the way the pendulum is swinging, um, certain folks in the game and certain folks, types of folks, no longer in the game. I think the more baseball people we get back in the game, the better the game's going to be. Um, so from that standpoint alone, I'm happy he's back in the game. No doubt. Hey, Gary, I'll wrap it up with this. It's awesome uh, when you're back in St. Louis. It was great when you were on the TV here and doing that. But uh, get back to St. Louis. Don't be a stranger, man. And, and sure enough, you know, we're going to have uh, another 06 reunion. I'm sure we'll see you then. I'm looking forward to it, and thanks for having me on, guys. Always a pleasure. You got it. That is Gary Bennett, one of the classiest people that has worn the Cardinal uniform. When he was in town here in St. Louis, BK, he was just awesome. Like, you go to him just like that conversation was right there, and he's going to give you straightforward answers. He would tell you what's happening, and he did it with a smile on his face. He loved to be in the big leagues. He played 13 big league uh, years in, in his career, which not many people realize some of that was as a backup, but he was a really good backup. And there is a art to being a good backup. Some guys can't do it. But they, you know, they've been starters, and if they're not going to start, they just cannot adjust to be ready, as he said, to play every day, even though you might not be in that lineup every day. Yeah, I used to talk with Jamie about this a lot because he, he had that role at the end of his career of being a guy that was kind of an extra on the on the team. And those guys are super important. And I think sometimes on the outside, we forget or don't value what they bring inside of the clubhouse, inside of the dressing room, locker room, depending on the sport. But that stuff also has value. And so going back to the Matt Carpenter thing for a second here, Dan, like that is one of the reasons why I would hesitate for some people that are calling for the Cardinals to DFAM or whatever. I don't know that you're going to see that this year, regardless of what the numbers say. That guy has value inside of that clubhouse. And yeah, there's also the $20 million value on the contract, but there's value to having a guy that is just a nice sounding board for the rest of the players inside of that locker room. The Cardinals made some new uh, moves. We'll talk about that. And you probably heard about them, but it was Dylan Carlson, or excuse me, uh, Harrison Bader being called up. Dylan Carlson probably goes to right. You'd have Bader in center field. It was Wainwright going on the IL. Andrew Miller went on the IL. So talk about some of the moves as the Cardinals have a three-game uh, series in Pittsburgh beginning tonight. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Text line, the 402 says, not much said about Kisner getting O'Neal to third in the 10th. Actually, we did talk about that earlier in the show, and I talked about it this morning. Very good <laughs> at bat with that ground ball uh, to the right side. You advance him, and then you get Tyler O'Neal in scoring position with his great speed. You know, the other thing, BK, how about Alex Reyes and the kind of start that he's had as your Cardinal closer? And yesterday was as sharp, I think, as we've seen him all year. It was, and there have been some moments this year where it looks a little shaky for him, but for sure. he gets the job done, you know, and that's that's the thing about closers is I, I'm fine. If you have to make it eventful, it is what it is, right? Sometimes that happens. You don't have your best command, and especially for a guy that's never been in that specific role where he's going back-to-back -back days and he's getting five or six out saves sometimes, there's going to be some days where he doesn't have his best stuff. But the thing that has really impressed me, Dan, about Alex Reyes is he hasn't allowed that to get to him yet. He still, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe he's allowed to run so far this season. I mean, that that is remarkable for, like I said, a guy that has not held that role before. 
has not allowed a run. Two innings yesterday, no hits, three strikeouts, 25 pitches, and he picked up the W. We were wondering yesterday, would there be fireworks um, between the two teams? And it, it was handled the way that I thought it might be handled. It was handled professionally. Uh, Hector Neris with Arenado at the plate hit him on the fleshy part of his body. Wasn't up. That's how you handle it. Now that situation should be over. Arenado took first base. I'm sure he and Goldie went into that game thinking one of them is going to take one in the ribs. It was Nolan Arenado after what took place with Bryce Harper. You have to protect your players. You just have to do it. It was going to happen. It was just a matter of if and when. Now, the interesting part of how they did that was that they put the the, the winning run in the ninth inning at first base. And the way I said it was, well, you're either – the way the Phillies, I think they were looking at this PK was that the winning run was at the plate. Is that so? Here's your option: Do you want Nolan Arenado with a walk-off homer, or do you want Nolan Arenado at first base with Tyler O'Neill at the plate? Let's deal with Tyler O'Neill. We can strike him out. We can probably expand his zone, and the move worked, and it was handled perfectly. And Mike Schultz talked about it afterwards. We're dead even. That's the whole part about it. You know, I mean, it happened. It's over. We don't play him again this year. I can confidently tell you, and I'm pretty sure from their side. They handled it old school. We, 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 you know, did our part. Um, we won the baseball game. No hard feelings. We play in the playoffs. We'll just play good, hard-nosed baseball. And that's what that's what we're here to do, and, and that's what we did. And, and that's what they did as well. It was a good, hard-fought series that we split. Yeah, totally agree. It was handled, and it's done. It's even. They don't see each other unless they meet in the playoffs. So I thought, BK, they uh, they handled it properly. Yeah, I still think it's silly, but that's fine. It, I know this is the way that baseball handles things. They police things. And if they are going to do it, they definitely did it the correct way. The other thing, just like about strategically the way that they handled it, is if I was Joe Girardi and that was any other game, like for setting aside for a moment the eye-for-eye eye thing, I would have probably intentionally walked Nolan Arenado there anyway. So whether it was an intentional walk or a hit-by-pitch, I'm not letting that guy beat me. I'll go ahead and take my chances with Tyler O'Neill, who has a 35% strikeout rate on the season. I'm, I'm going to throw to him, not to Nolan Arenado, who's one of the best players in the sport. So they did it right by hitting the fleshy part of the body, if you will. It wasn't at the head. And bygones are bygones now. Eye for an eye kind of thing. Uh, I did think it was incredibly classy, as we found out. Uh, before the game, or I guess maybe well, it was before or after, but regardless, uh, Bryce Harper uh, reached out to Henesis Cabrera. That is class, man. And for him to do that and say, hey, I know it's, and also through the media to say, look, it was unintentional, ball got away. I, I'm not mad at him. Things happen. Uh, I just thought the way that Harper handled the situation, he could have flamed that situation. It could have gotten, I mean, he could have gone crazy in the media. He could have gone crazy when he was hit on the field. He didn't do either of those things. I mean, he was as classy and as professional as you possibly could have been getting hit in the face with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's to be commended. Yeah, Dan, you know I'm I'm as big a fan as you'll find uh, of Bryce Harper, and I I said it at the time when he was a free agent. I thought he would have been an unbelievable fit in St. Louis, and this is just like it's a microcosm, right? Bryce Harper is a baseball player, and I know that's simplistic analysis, but it's true. Like this is a guy that just he fits in with all of the. Um, 
he fits in criteria-wise with what St. Louis people love. I think he would have been a great fit here. Obviously, that ship has sailed, but uh, he handled this with class. He handled it with dignity. He is a rock star as a player, and he seemingly is a dude that fits in with just about any locker room you could possibly ask for. He handled this with grace. And coming up, we'll cross it over, find out what's coming up next on 101. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac Show on a Friday again. Valley Sports will have the coverage of uh, Cardinal Baseball, all three games in Pittsburgh, and it starts tonight. So, uh, BK, looking forward to this weekend. The Pirates, for me, they have been a surprise. Key Brian Hayes has played in two games. They're hovering around 500. They got the second best bullpen ERA right now in the National League. So, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, it should be fun, Dan. And it's one of those things where they always say you can't predict baseball, right? I certainly wouldn't have predicted that the Pirates would look like a competent team early in the season, much less a team that's been pretty solid so far this year. Yeah, and without Key Brian Hayes, I I got him being one of the best players, even though he's so young in the National League and look forward to watching great players in this game. You've heard me say that a million different times, so I'm disappointed he's going to be out this weekend. He's dealing with a wrist injury, tried to come back a few days ago, kind of re-injured it, aggravated it, so we'll not, uh, we'll not be in there. You've got Alex Ferrario coming up. You're at Centene, and I'm sure uh, Alex, again, flying high after a big Blues win last night. As he should, the Blues look fantastic once again, and they get the big win in overtime. So we'll talk about that to open things up. Matt Carpenter's big night in the bench rolls for some of these guys. We'll get into that. And NFL drafts, Dan, I know you were all over it last night. We will get into that with a few of our big opinions. And one of your favorites, Dan, Andy Van Slyke is going to join the show coming up at 1215. Oh, you want opinions? You'll get it with Slick, the (laughs) former Pirate and Cardinal. Yeah, I didn't miss a minute of that. NFL draft. It was just riveting. I know. I heard I heard all of your hot takes on it earlier today. Yeah. I was I was just waiting on bated breath. I never got my uh my my goodness meter, but no. I got all of your NFL draft opinions and oh, I appreciate yeah. that. It was all there. BK <laughs> Alex, they're coming up next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.